Happy Tag Tuesday. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm doing great. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> you sure? I'm, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a pause for like, let me think about it. I'm doing good. Okay. Hey, listen. I'm glad to be here. I'm, I'm not here to judge. I woke up this morning. That's, that's the best part Like Some the days day. that's like all you get. Sometimes that's the best you can hope for. I played hooky from work today. Good for you. I know. Yeah, that's nice. I take nice. it a PTO day. What's a PTO day? A personal something day what is time that? off yeah personal time off day what <laughs> like the, you you took it but you didn't know for sure what it was i was looking at our guest because she actually is my labor lawyer <laughs> <laughs> maybe you shouldn't be admitting that you played hooky no she doesn't care oh i just doesn't. need to do it according to the rules oh there's rules that go with it rules yeah. and regs except i don't really i'm the owner of the company so you don't need a pto day i just said it so i'd sound like one of the people <laughs> you know what I mean I do I just said yeah. like I told everybody last night because half the people that work for me are my family yeah I said I'm not coming in tomorrow and did they say mom so I mean Ms. Cooper fill out the paperwork they're like oh we better check your time if see if you have any personal time off days and I'm like rough crowd and I said oh guess what let me know if I don't also, I don't care. Also, live with it. <laughs> and eat your spinach <laughs> and go to your room. <laughs> I wish I could send them to their room. <laughs> they left the house. They're they, all You older. sent them home. They sent home. They went home. Mm. Cutest grandbabies in the world were over for dinner last all, night. All three? All three. Oh, I love it. Baby Grace is getting six teeth, so that's something. Oh. And she's an eater. Is she? Oh, she loves she it. She just sticks it in her mouth. She eats everything. Really? Oh, she's an eater. Oh, I love it. Is she in pain with the six new teeth? She has been, yeah. Yeah, that's rough. It's not good. It's hard to watch them go through that. Then there's shot day. You got to go in for your little vaccines. I don't do that anymore. No, you don't. You're the grandma, so you don't need to do it. No, no. I don't do it. How how was your day? My day was good. Um, Uneventful, but still just stressful and didn't get anything done that I needed to. (laughs) You know how those days go. But we have little people staying at my house, too. Three little girls. They are nine six and one and a half that's that's a lot they are so cute they're it's actually my husband's nephew his family his lovely wife and their three children and oh my gosh i don't know how they do it are they going to disneyland they go to disneyland every day for like five days straight whoa they're super disney fans they have the passes even though they live out of state wow and they they come and they they do it it's it's admirable Wow. It's really something. And the little girls are pin collectors. You know, there's, oh, they yeah, do that. Yeah. And they are like expert at it. And mm-hmm. they brought us home some pins that they've started collecting for us. Oh, are you going to go back and start doing that? Well, they've got me started. And I said, well, I don't know. And they, so they were telling me, you know, they gave me the, these pins. They've given me several dozen at this point. Every time they go, they bring pins for me. And they're all Snow White pins. Oh, because you love Snow White. Because I love Snow White. Or there's some dwarfs or there's, you know, whatever. And so I said... I don't know how to trade pins. And they were like, oh, well, we're going to help you. 
So well, last night you went to Disneyland. Well, I, there it's it's going to be full blown on Wednesday where they're going to take me to the places where we do pin shopping and pin trading. And sometimes there's a trivia question where if you answer the trivia question right, the person at the pin shop will give you a free pin. Really? Here's a trivia question for, for both of you. I don't know how much you guys know about Disney. Not very much. my little nine-year-old great niece um, answered this question correctly. Of all the Disney cartoons, Disney movies, and all the lead characters in those movies, which lead character does not speak? Do, 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 do. Lead character does not speak. Yeah. There's a lead character in a very famous Disney movie that doesn't have any lines because he, she can't speak. Dumbo. <gasps> ding, ding, ding. Denise got it. I would get a pin. You would get a pin. I should go. Isn't that exciting? It's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's fun. That is fun. Little nine-year-old got it. Wow. She's like, here you go, Dumbo. <laughs> <laughs> she knew. Yeah. They are smart as whips and the cutest thing you've ever seen. It, You know, your whole home changes when you have a little kid in it. Sure. It's fun. The energy level that they bring to you and the just sheer, I don't know, happiness factor. Yeah. They, they're they just so real. Oh, yeah. They Sometimes s- real is real. And they say it like it is. Oh, yeah. Oh, they absolutely do. I love it. In the morning, they this morning, they wanted to be there at um, 8 a.m. when the park opens. That's early. So they were up. Oh, there were alarms going off earlier, and then you just hear running back and forth upstairs, <laughs> and it's the cutest thing. I'm like, oh, I love this. They're so as darling. you're curled up in bed and saying, no, I don't, I don't have to get up and make them breakfast, so I love it even more. <laughs> so fun, so fun. So our guest today is uh, someone that we have looked forward to having on um, for many reasons. Our friend Sherry Fanger McGinnis whom we've known for a number of years. Uh, The reason we're having her on today, though, is uh, a topic that's very near and dear to both Denise and I, and is Sherry's, I would say, passion? Yes, 100%. Literacy and reading. We're so glad to have you with us, Sherry. Thank you. Thanks Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We're glad to have you with us. So when I say, I'm correct when I say that literacy and reading are your passion. No, I think that's true. I think that's true. And it's been true for, I think, according to my mother, since I was born. Well, that's what so. I was going to say. So I remember very distinctly when I first got, kind of got like my brain clicked into reading and, and loving reading. Do you have that moment where you remember that? I do. I, I have this clear recollection of like being in the car and I was driving somewhere with my family and I was just looking out at the signs and all of a sudden I realized like, I know what that says. I can read that. I can read this. I can read that. And it kind of felt um, magical. You know, I mean, it was just so I just felt so important or a part of the world or whatever you want to say. It just was I I distinctly remember feeling that. How old were you, do you think? I don't know. You must have been little. I was. I was probably little. Um, My mom, who if you ever meet her, she's like the most enthusiastic, optimistic person you could ever hope to have biggest cheerleader I've ever had in my life. And she claims that I started talking and using words and even small sentences at seven months old. Whoa. Now, we all kind of say about my mom, like she's so optimistic and so (laughs) excited about her kids that maybe sometimes she just exaggerates a little bit, (laughs) which could be the case there. But I just know from the beginning, like words were my thing. I love to read, I love to write, I love to talk. And so. 
And for, by profession, you're a lawyer. Which I'm a lawyer. Yes. All of <laughs> Forgive those me things. for that. Never. No, no, no. You're a good lawyer. Tell everybody what you do by trade. So by trade, I'm what, what you would call an employment defense lawyer. Mm-hmm. So what that means is I do things like write employee handbooks and do sexual harassment training and um, give advice and handle cases when employers get sued for discrimination or harassment or wage and hour violations. So... Um, I like what I do. I like it a lot. And I use words a lot. Yeah. And I have to read a lot yeah, for my job. <laughs> and you probably have to talk a lot, too. That, too. Yeah. That all too. of the above. All of the above. Yes. Well, one of the reasons I know that you love reading is that I was part of a book club for a while. And I have since kind of moved out of that book club because of life. It just wasn't going to work for me on the days that they are having it. But I still follow along with the book club emails. Mm-hmm. So when they are reading a book, I'm usually reading the same book. And Sherry's email address is bookishmom, right? (laughs) My Instagram account, my email address, Mm -hmm. like everything. You and I were talking about it before we got on mic today about what it is about reading that is so powerful for people. And I'm going to reverse it a little bit and just say, I know a lot of people in this day and age that are just not reading anymore. Yeah, well. What do you think is going on with that? Well, I mean, there's probably a lot of reasons. I mean, if I have to speculate just based on what I observe and the things that I have to battle in my own life or with my own kids or Mm -hmm. things like that, I think, you know, just like everyone, we're super hyper busy and we're just like every minute is filled with things. And reading is something that I think requires, at least the kind of reading that I love, it requires deep concentration. Mm -hmm. And so that's a very hard thing to find. Mm And um, even though I love it, even though it's my passion, even though I'm like fully committed to reading every day, like I don't feel like myself if I don't, honestly. I don't feel right if I don't read every day. Um, and even then, I have to toss the phone across the room on the floor so that I can't reach it. Even then, I have to shut the door at nine o'clock and tell my kids and my husband, don't bother me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of have to, you have to find a way to like squeeze it out. It doesn't just happen easily. Which is so strange. You're exactly right. But when you hear someone say it, isn't that strange? Because for the longest time, that was like our only entertainment. We had three channels. Do you have a favorite genre? So I read almost everything, except for I won't read things that are um, gory. Okay. Like like really violent things. Okay. I have a really, really hard time. I mean, I'll read books about like World War. I, I will read books about history that involve violence, yes. but I don't like a Dean Koontz book that's yeah. like, you know, mass killings. I'm not killings. into it either. No. Uh, Truman Capote's In Cold Blood. I tried. I couldn't. So there, there's definitely things I won't read, but I read almost everything otherwise. Mm-hmm. And uh, one interesting thing is, is that for the longest time, I thought I was reading more fiction than I was reading nonfiction. But then I keep a list of everything I read and I went and looked at it. And to my surprise, more than half of what I read is nonfiction. And I think it's increasing as I get older. I'm not sure why. Interesting. But... Um, but yeah, so I, I will read anything and everything. Are you a book person or are you a Kindle iPad person? Definitely book, physical book physical in my book. hand mm-hmm. that I can smell, that I can touch. And I actually have strong opinions about the right size a book should be, how oh. the margins should look, how the font <laughs> should look. Like I get really, I, I can really tell when a publisher has like taken care yes. of a book. Yes. When there's attention to detail somehow it makes the book a little bit more special like somebody has really gone to an effort to make this a beautiful thing that's absolutely true yes with the advent of self-publishing have you seen a 
decrease in the type of quality of writing? So I think I like self, the fact that self-publishing exists because I think like, do it. If you want to write and get it out there, go for it. Right. Doesn't mean I'm going to read it, but you know, I mean, somebody might and somebody might love it and enjoy it. Or maybe the exercise of doing it inspires you and makes, you know, it does something for you in your life. So great. Go for it. I am myself kind of picky and choosy because I want like a bang for the buck, right? I want like to get something out of the time that I spend. Mm -hmm. And so if I, if something doesn't grab me within like, like a chapter or two, yes, I'm done. I'm moving on. Do you get your books by recommendation or by a website or something that you rely on? So not really. What I do is I just talk to people a lot, all the time. I'm always bringing up books. I'm always giving people books. And so what <laughs> happens over time is that people say, like, I have people text me out of the blue all the time. Oh my gosh, I just read this most incredible thing. You've got to read it. Yeah. Or they text me and they say, what should I read next? Because this is so, you know, the last one I read that you told me to read was so good. So anyway, I have a lot of those conversations. And then I have authors that I really, really love and trust. I'm always looking for them. Yeah. And then I do, I'm on Goodreads. Sure. I do kind of like other people will bring up books and things. And yeah. I'm always like digging into it. And then of course, I have pet things that I I'll get on a roll. Like I'll start like there's some issue about healthcare that I don't understand. I'll start reading it. And then I'll literally like I'll read like this book and then the next book and then the next book until I feel like, okay, now I have a little bit of a handle on what this is. Interesting. So Do you, are you a go back and read it again or is that strictly forbidden? Um, I love to read certain things again. Mm -hmm. Some of them are full novels, yeah. but those are few. Oh. But I love, love, love poetry. And the older I get, you know, people always tell me, I can't, I just can't get into poetry. I don't understand it. I don't, but the older I get, like, that's almost the first place for me to go. Like if I'm sad or frustrated or feeling overwhelmed or I call them um, my nightstand books. Yeah. Right. It's the books that like, it's a little bit of something mm -hmm. right before you fall asleep. And I want it to be something that's inspiring or beautiful or you know, something like that. Yeah. It just sticks with you. And so those are the books on my nightstand. I think that's the point of poetry is to revisit it. I There's there's never a time where I've thought, well, I, I read that, I'm done with the poetry portion. For sure. I studied English at college. And so there were poetry classes. And at the time, it's such a drag. And then once you're out of college and you realize what you missed, you're like, yeah. college is wasted on 20-year-olds. It is a waste. If I, I would give a lot of money right now to be able to drop everything and dedicate my time to 14 credits a semester and just learn what a gift that would be yeah. it's lost on on youth they you know and I get it because I was there too and it's such a slog and you're just uh do you have a favorite poet though is there someone that is it Yeats or do you go old school or um, I have a number of poets that I love but I, I would say Mary Oliver is my favorite her writing is just I'm sorry, I don't know Gorgeous. who Mary Oliver is. Beautiful. And she just passed away a year ago, two years ago. She writes a lot about the natural world. Mm. And it's very accessible, right? Okay, it's yeah. not It's not like trying to write and nobody understands what you're saying. Yes. It's like, it, it reaches out and grabs me immediately, okay. right? It doesn't. And then I also love um, Wendell Berry. So okay. both of them are older. They're both dead. Yes. But, but they're not like ancient. Yeah. And so I just find both of them to be really accessible. And then um, I love Jane Hirschfeld. There's a bunch. There's a, There's bunch. a bunch. But those 
those are kind of the area. And then I hear of another one and I start reading or start looking at it. Um, for anybody who feels like I can't do poetry, I can't yeah. stand poetry, I have a recommendation for you. Tell us. Do you know who Garrison Keillor is? Yes. Okay. He's so got, Prairie got Home radio. Companion, which Prairie, doesn't yeah. exist anymore, yep. but used to be. So he has two books and one is called um, Poems for Hard Times and one is called Good Poems. And they're collections. So they have poems from like all different kinds of authors and poets. And I like those books because he's kind of picked the ones that were really meaningful to him, made him laugh, made him cry, whatever. And he put them all together in a book. So you kind of get a taste of different styles and different people. And there are so many good poems in those volumes. So if you're thinking right now to yourself, like, I'm just not a person who can read poetry. I dare you to go get one of those books mm -hmm. and open the page and just randomly pick out one or two or three and read them mm -hmm. and then come back and tell me. Okay. I bet you'd love you'd love it and I bet you keep reading. The rub on poetry though is it's so high-minded. It's so esoteric. <laughs> like I can't get into it and I completely understand that. Finding the right poetry. Yes. And like you said, it's just a taste. It's just a little bit. But you let, yet you know the story and you've, you've already sort of written that in your head, which is the beauty of reading is that you can sort of write, write that script in your head. And that's, I hadn't thought about poetry in that way, but it's, it's true. It's like a little mini story. You know? Yeah, it's this little nugget. And think about it. I actually think it's harder to write poetry than it is to write a novel. Oh, for it sure. absolutely is. Because you have just a few words and you have to say something like, really punchy or really funny or really meaningful or have like that twist, you know, mm -hmm. that makes someone think in a way they haven't thought about something before. One of the things that you and I talked about earlier was that you used to have an Instagram account. Yes. And tell us a little bit about that. So I, I started Instagram account, gosh, what is it, like five years ago. Uh, it's called Bookish Bites, B-Y-T-E-S. It still exists. It's still on there. Uh, my very good friend from law school who reads more books than I do. She's the only person I know who does. Um, but the two of us would just read books and write about them and kind of engage in conversations. It was super fun. We had a great time. Uh, maybe not unlike what the two of you have together, you right. know, doing this together. It's really fun to do that with another person that you really connect with and care about. So we had a good time. But at some point, I kind of made a decision to stop doing it. Um, and uh, it got to the point where I kind of felt like the interactions I was having online were kind of uh, more shallow, not very deep or meaningful. And if somebody took the time to comment on something, I felt the need to, to, to comment back or to say something because they took time out of their busy day to do that. And yet I didn't feel like the connection was like super meaningful. Yeah. And so, and then just with other life stuff, I thought, you know, I'm going to seek out conversations about books in different ways where I, it can go deeper, it can be more meaningful, it can be with somebody that I really know and care about, my neighbor, my friend, my book club, whatever else. So it's just a decision to kind of readjust where the time is going. And you would take books and you would do a review on them? Yes. And then that way people would know from your perspective what the book was about, what was important to you, if you liked it, if you didn't like it, that type of thing. All of that. And I actually loved it for myself because it forced me to write about something I just read. And <clears throat> I don't know about you, but things stick much better in my mind if I actually am forced to kind of distill like in a few sentences or a few paragraphs, like what did this mean to me? What did I think about it? What was my reaction about it? It's really nice to go back to that. If you think about a book later or somebody asks you about a book, it's nice to have that. And I have to say, I haven't been as good about writing about books since I stopped doing that. 
Don't you think that that's what the, that for me is what the beauty of a book club is. Are you still in a book club? Yes. I, over the years, have participated in three different book clubs at the same time. Oh. Right now, I've scaled back a little bit for a variety of reasons I won't get into. But <laughs> but yes, I'm always in a book club. And I, I have what I call with some of my friends, like two-person book clubs. Like, I have a book, I'll read a book, and I'll be like, oh my goodness, I have to talk to somebody about this. And then I give it to my friend, and I say, please read this so we can talk about it, or vice versa. So I'm always finding ways to talk mm-hmm. about books. And I agree with you, Denise. Like, it's, you know, we only see so much when we're with ourselves. Yeah. And the other thing about what you're describing is it's a form of connection to another person. It's not just what they think about the book, but when they start to articulate their experience with it, you you form a connection with them. We did a podcast a little while back about this, um, I don't want to say, it, it. I don't know what to call it, <laughs> a cultural phenomenon of book banning oh, yes. in some of the public schools. Oh, I have so many opinions. Please. <laughs> you might not want to hear them all. I want to hear all of them because <laughs> I we've heard both, both sides yes. in our various readings. Like, well, it's not appropriate for a fourth grader to check out a book on on you know my transgender brother or whatever the book name the book was named something like that and i was like well wait okay but anyway there were there there's lots of areas to sort of argue and be defensive and be accepting and it's very hard to know because across the board you want to say don't ban any books you can't do that yeah but then there are occasions where you're like well now wait a minute i don't know that that's necessarily appropriate for a fourth grader to to read what are some of your opinions on the on the book banning phenomenon yeah i love that you bring this up and i have lots of thoughts and i'm also opening to listen to what other people have to say about it mm-hmm. uh but maybe it helps to know where i'm coming from i am a person who is very opposed to book banning and very uh, i value free speech and and the free exchange of ideas and so my view on it is that a lot of times i feel like book banning is motivated from a place of fear and not that that's bad sometimes it's good to be afraid of something that can hurt us right i'm not saying that alone is bad but i don't like to feel like we have to be afraid of ideas or of the experience of another person. And so, and I have four children, right? I care about what they read. I care about what they learn. And so my feeling is, is that one person in a community should not be making the decision for all the other people in that community about what is or isn't okay for their children or even for an adult or for themselves. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there's a lot of people where, when I hear their stories, they talk about reading a book and seeing themselves in it, right? And so if you're someone who uh, maybe we would say is on like the outskirts or not in the mainstream of society, um, it might be incredibly powerful for you to read a book that reflects what you feel inside or who you are or what your experience is. Mm -hmm. And some people may be afraid of that, fine. They don't have to read it if they don't want to read it. I wish they would. They might learn something from it, um, but but they don't have to. And so I think it's a, for me, it's a matter of like, we should be regulating ourselves. And with my kids, I mean, does anybody really think that their kids can't access anything That's anywhere yeah, it's through their now. smartphone? Mm-hmm. It's and, so different and now. And so it's so different. And so I would rather have a conversation right with my child what are you reading what are you looking at in school what are you you know talking about there's been times where i've gone to talk to teachers where i felt like in a book was not where my going to be good for my kid at that age and they work with you 
Mm-hmm. Um, we don't have to ban them. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's and, and there's been times where I mean, I'm pretty open with my kids on a lot of subjects. I want them to read about those subjects and I want to read those books with them and I want them to come talk to me about it. I also wonder if there's an element of as adults, we should be adulting our children, parenting our our community, and we don't want these specific books to be available because that's not appropriate for children in our community whatever that community is whatever that book is I think there is an element of of well you can't expect a seven-year-old to know what's best for them so we're going to sort of tell them by not offering you know this book or that book or or whatever because there's not not every family has the ability like you do over at your house to have your kids bring a book home and go oh guess what I'm reading Valley of the Dolls and have you know the mom go that's okay it's a little racy I'd rather you wait let's wait till you're 20 before you actually read Valley of the Dolls but you know there's there's not a lot of that so I think there's people that are like well if I could have the school take care of that for me that would that would be a great help thank you I do think that those who are really intense about banning books are a very very, very small minority. Okay. And most parents I talk to about this have concern about what their kids are reading. That's a, that's valid. People should feel bad for having that concern. That's a part of being a responsible parent. But to think that you should be in a position to decide that for all the people in your community, mm-hmm. that's a kind of arrogance, I think, that is really, really what's the right word I'm looking for? It's pr- very presumptuous. Mm. Yeah. And And for someone who's claiming like, you know, limited government, free speech, etc. And then I'm going to decide for you that your what your kid can read when they go to the library. I think those two things, it's hypocritical. Yeah. And those two things are in conflict. And so, but I also want to say to your point, Anne, mm-hmm. um, you know, libraries do curate, right? So, I mean, if you go to an elementary school librarian, that librarian is making some decisions sure. about what is appropriate or not appropriate. And I absolutely do think that there are books that are appropriate and inappropriate for different ages. Yes. It's just that I think that a few people in a community should not be making a massive a decision for everyone. Yeah. And that families and teachers and librarians should just be being thoughtful about it mm-hmm. as they as they look at that. And what really is discouraging to me is that if you look at the banned book list, yeah. it's all about the experiences of black mm-hmm. and LGBTQ <clears throat> and anything that gun safety it's things that make people feel uncomfortable because they have a certain ideology which they're entitled to hold but that that they should not be making that decision for everybody else and in fairness when we were reading down that list and we had several lists i don't mean to out this entire part of the country but it was mostly midwestern folk that didn't want the amityville horror in their you know library and also no books on lgbtq no books on you know the black experience no you know it's it was it sort of went on and on of course both coasts are pretty progressive as far as that type of i'm sure there's pockets of you know where we're trying to keep this away from our kids whatever i can't make a blanket statement but the coasts are pretty open it's when you start getting middle america uh bible beltish that there's this sort of attitude of, well, we we know they don't want to read about that, so we're just going to take it with us, kind of thing. It's like, no, you don't. I think it's all about fear. <laughs> I do. I do have this attitude, and this is how what I said to my kids all the time. Like, part of reading should be fun and entertainment, right? We don't want to make it a chore. Mm-hmm. 
We don't want to be guilt. We don't want to feel guilty because we don't enjoy something that somebody else tells us we right. should enjoy. Right. Right. Don't be. A, I don't want to be a snob about it. Um, at the same time, I like to think of reading sometimes as serving a function of 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 pushing me. So I want to read some that, that's entertaining and fun and interesting, and then I want to read something that pushes me a little bit mm-hmm. or makes me work a little bit. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think just that ch- changing that frame of reference for what it is to you, I think helps. Yeah. What, um, what pushes you? Like you said, cha- changing me or pushing me out of my comfort zone. What would yeah. a book like that be for you? It could be anything. I mean, it could be, I'm trying to think about what I'm reading. I'm reading right now uh, a book called From Outrage to Courage, and it's written by a Stanford professor. It's about the state of women around the world. And I think I'm really well read. Okay, that sounds really obnoxious, but I do. I read a lot. I read a lot. And I'm reading this book, and I read a sentence that tells me that 81% of the children born in the world are born into abject poverty. Not by U.S. standards, mm-hmm. by world standards. I mean, what mental shift? Here we are in Orange County, right? Okay, bubble. and so bubble, and so immediately, like I think I know a lot. I think I've read a lot. I think I've understood a lot of experiences, and then I read that, and it blows my mind. So it's just like reaching out for things like that. That yeah. that like being humble and knowing, like, oh, you think you know about this area or this subject, but but you might not know everything in fact you probably don't right and so just listen read you know yeah you brought a stack of books with you i did and that first one is uh, from courage i'm sorry from outrage to courage yes I, I, is that you're in the middle of reading that right now i'm in the middle of reading this right now and one of the things i love about it in addition to teaching me all kinds of things i didn't know about women around the world is that she um references a lot of aid organization groups that mm. are vetted that are doing good work you know sometimes you worry about donating or giving money to certain causes that you care about you're like is this actually going to people to help them etc and so she does a lot of international work and she has a lot of ideas about how not just to read but how to make a difference with something yeah um so so it's not a novel it's a it's a book of stories about different experiences throughout the world uh from women of women what else did you bring um, I brought a book I'm reading right now for book club. Mm. It's called um, Remarkably Bright Creatures. It's a okay. novel. And half of the book is narrated by an octopus. Nice. So when I read the first chapter, I thought, okay. Uh-huh. <laughs> but then you kind of say to yourself, well, I think I'm just going to go with this. Yeah. Because that's well, the way to enjoy the th- book. That's and part so, of reading, right? Is yeah. let yourself be in the moment. Yes. Boy, the octopus so. has gotten a real upturn in popularity huge, recently, huge. right? Huge. Yes. There's like documentaries. Yeah. There's Oh, yeah. Octopus, books, my teacher, or whatever it's called. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. So what's the third one that you brought? And that? then the third one I brought is called Finding Phoebe. This is about Phoebe, uh, the deaconess from the New Testament. Oh. So this is written. I actually do a lot of reading in the area. You know, I'm committed to my faith, and I love um, studying the Old Testament and the New Testament, particularly the women. Yeah. And so this is a book about her and about what we have assumptions about what life was like for women who lived at that time. Yep. And a lot of those assumptions are incorrect. Hmm. That's good and to know. And so it's, it's really is it dis- better. Is it better for us or worse? You mean like well, life then? Was- Come on, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's obvious. 
I'm just saying, you said it, the assumptions aren't always great. I mean, my assumptions are pretty bad. So I'm just assuming that things were bad. Yes, I think one of the points the author's making is that I think a lot of people assume that women couldn't hold property, right. that women were completely subject to husbands and fathers, etc., which is not untrue. But but there's, I mean, well, that's not, okay. So women did hold property. Women did uh, participate in the early Christian church in very significant ways, both in leadership and in preaching and administering and in funding mm. the early Christian church. And so I think a lot of times people think that women were just at home and not involved, involved in the public sphere. Mm-hmm. And the truth is, is that they were. Okay. Now, it still wasn't great. I mean, to us, it would feel very oppressive, I think. And um, I wouldn't want to live at a time like that, personally. Uh, but it helps me understand, like, when I'm reading scriptures or things like that, it helps me understand it a lot better. Yeah. And um, I think it helps me um, decipher Paul's writings better to oh. understand what life was like for women then. Plus, so. we can then relate a little bit when we're there. Because it's very hard to understand women's roles in the scriptures because we're not really there's no women to really there's only a few women that are named. that are even named <laughs> and they're usually named mary mm-hmm. and so there's not a there's ton a lot of marys there's a lot of marys <laughs> and there's not a lot of information about them. yeah yeah and and so it makes you feel a little bit like hmm did you ever take um like the bible as literature in, as a class did you ever take one of those classes um no but i do read the bible in lots of different ways. Like it's so sometimes a I read way. it that way, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I won't go deep into like what my feelings are on that, but I I definitely I mean the Bible is literature. It is. In addition to being scripture, yes. it is literature and I think there's a lot to be gained from reading it from that perspective sometimes. I agree. And wrestling with it a little bit and right. trying to understand it in that way. Yeah. Um so yes, I think it's one of those things. And I, I went to a religious university, BYU. No one is surprised by that. And that there are, I don't know how many credits are required for graduation. Um, you have to have religious credits. And there's a whole host of religious classes that you can take and choose from. And there's some required and there's some that are just like, decide which of these five classes you want to take or whatever. I wish now that- <laughs> If only. If only. <laughs> that the Bible as literature was one of those classes. It was in my English program. Oh. I was too young and stupid and was not interested in reading one more thing because that's all we did as English majors. But I wish that was offered more mainstream. Like, you know, world religions now is absolutely one of those classes that it's got two sections. You've got, you know, section one and section two. You're ta- it's, it's a big class now that people are very into and are seeing the benefit of. Yeah. My son had a terrific experience with his world religion classes where they went to a Buddhist temple and they went to, you know, they went to Jewish synagogue and they participated in a, in a Baha'i, you know, uh, meeting and all these different things. It really opens your eyes to the world. I think having something like the Bible as literature would really benefit a ton of people because it is it is literature. It's prose and it's written. Some of it is written beautifully. Some of it is very clunky and very difficult to get through. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> That's right. But some of it is beautiful and, you know, it's unfortunate. I don't know where I was going with that. Um, Can I say something about that, though, really please quick? Please do. The, another reason, I would love to take a class like that. And another reason to take a class like that is so much of the best literature is based on the Bible. That's right. Like one of my very favorite books of all time, I've read it five times, which I can't say about most books, is East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Absolutely. And it's completely based on 
Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and this battle between good and evil and the choices that we have. Anyway, if you don't understand the Bible, you're going to have a hard time understanding a lot of classic literature. Well, and especially Steinbeck. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that point up because Steinbeck on his own is, you know, Steinbeck for Steinbeck's sake. But if you have all this other information coming in, yep. biblical knowledge or whatever, even if it's just a little bit that you can recognize, then all of a sudden Steinbeck gets a whole lot more interesting and he's a whole lot less of, you know, a narcissistic, egomaniacal woman hater. He's all those things as well. But well, I put Hemingway at the top of that list and then I would... True. That's true. They were bros, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you have a favorite author of that era? Is there a Hemingway, Steinbeck? What? I have a really hard time with Hemingway, not just because he was a misogynist, but also because I just... I mean, this, this sounds terrible to anybody who reads a lot, but I don't like his writing. I, it's very difficult. And, and I cannot stand the way he writes about women. So that's, I have a really hard time then. But you asked me what horrid. who I do like, not who no, I don't like. No, I do like, like so. though that you that you're like here's <laughs> here's what I don't like because that's very real. Have you ever gotten? I don't mean to change subjects here, no, but have okay. you ever read an entire book that you put down and went, "Well, I just hated that." That was yes, really, yes, hundred percent. Now, can I recall it for you right now? I'm no. not sure, but but absolutely, I've read books like that, and absolutely, I've read books that I've just hated that I've learned something from. Yeah. So if if there is something redeeming for me in it I can keep going okay and especially if it's a part of a book club where somebody else is I've gone into a book club hating a book Mm -hmm. and come out liking it because of people's opinions okay because people saw it differently because people saw something in it that I didn't see and that became meaningful so you know I I'm open-minded, but also I don't have a lot of patience for misogyny. No. <laughs> but well, why? No, no one in this room does. Um, so so your favorite authors? Um, dead or alive? Either. Okay. Just, so favorite dead authors are, um, I love Virginia Woolf. Yes. And her uh, essay, A Room of One's Own, is one of my favorites, but I also enjoy her novels. Um, my Probably my favorite dead author is Edith Wharton. Oh. I don't know if you've ever read Age of Innocence. Absolutely. The most gorgeous writing you could yeah, ever hope to read. Beautiful. Like, I could show you. I didn't bring it. But, like, there's a paragraph where I read it, and I just kind of went, oh. You know, it's like. It spoke it's like, with to you. No, it's just, it was so incredible. So, um, I also love Tolstoy. Mm-hmm. I have made it all the way through War wow, and Peace and have? Anna Karenina. And I love them. I had an experience like that with War and Peace where it was just like, it was kind of out of body. It was like, it was so beautiful. It was so incredible. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and who else do I love who's dead? There's a lot of other. I love Willa Cather. Um, I love Wallace Stegner. He wrote a lot about the American West, kind mm-hmm. of like Steinbeck did. Yeah. And I do love Steinbeck. Mm-hmm. I think he is incredibly talented. He had some great moments. Yes. He did. He gets a little dusty sometimes. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> very, very dusty. And the experience is very difficult to sometimes go through with him. But it's. Yeah. Like, but I do, his writing, like you were saying, versus Hemingway, whose writing style is just upsetting. Don't, yeah. I can't put my finger on it. I just I don't just, love it. Oh, I struggle with it. So, <laughs> so I, I don't force myself on, on those kinds of books. I don't. When I think about myself, I told this to Anne today. I said, is there any book that kind of changed your life or made you like it, there was a turning point for you with anything I'll, I'll tell you what mine was I was okay. telling her the experience I was in high school I think I was a sophomore or so and I got put in a English class that was for honors let's just say this I was not an honors student don't believe you at all I was I know it's hard to believe 
I was not I was not an overachiever. I was literally just trying to keep it together in high school, right? I get in this class and I tell the teacher, I'm not supposed to be here. This is not going to end well for any of us. And my parents are going to be <laughs> even more disappointed in me than they already are. Hmm. And so she says, no, you can do this. We reread Grapes of Wrath. Ooh, all right. Kay. Just jump right in. Just to get in there. And <laughs> Some good it depression changed my life. Literature. Did it really? It did because my grandfather was a super important person in my life. And he grew up during the Depression. And it explained a lot about his personality, why he was a certain way. I could visualize my little, his little person in this situation, and maybe he was part of some of the things that was described. I just remember thinking to myself, it opened a world to me that I did not understand or realize until I had read about it, which I think is what you're talking about with every single book you're reading about or talking about right now, like the octopus is the the narrator. (laughs) Okay, we're just going to go with it. We're going to go with it. But we have to be open-minded. I was forced to read this, but I remember enjoying it so much. And I remember being shocked at the book because it's a shocking book. It is. To a sophomore. It's shocking. I mean, it's a, it's a... No one forgets the ending No one forgets book. the book. I've read it a couple times. No because one Because I wanted to read it as an adult because I wanted to see if it was still it as still there. raw yeah. and still as, you know, emotional. And it is. Yeah. It's that kind of book, right? Well, let me ask you this. When you were, you said you were a sophomore? I don't remember, but junior or something probably like that. sophomore, junior. When you're reading it, did you recognize your grandfather in those characters or did it take you being an adult and looking back? No, I remember thinking that my Skooky grew up during Scoop, this. Skooky. Skooks. Skooky. Skooky grew up the, and, and during this. He was young. He was a child. But I just remember my great grandmother also, who is really special to me, did. I mean, they... My, my grandparents immigrated over here. My grandfather was here, but they were immigrants. And I just remember just thinking that the world as we I knew it in this, my little, I grew up here in, at Orange High School in this bubble. It's always been a bubble. Mm-hmm. It, it, I couldn't relate to it in any way, shape, or form. And I thought, that's crazy. Yeah. Is, so what book was that for you, Sherry? So one that I can think of that I read within the last 10 years that really just shifted my worldview is the um, autobiography written by Nelson Mandela. It's Mm. called A Long Walk to Freedom. I recommend that book to everybody I possibly can. It's just, it is powerful. He was in prison for 27 years. And, but, but his mind and what he did and what happened when he got out of prison, um, I'll never be the same. It's incredible what he did. I don't think most people would be able to do what he did. To to have kind of the grace towards his captors that he had, to put aside his own, I'm sure, desire for vindication, retribution, for the betterment of his country, it's powerful. And, And that's inspiring. You know, we all have things to learn from that. It's so. so interesting that you say it was just within the past decade. It was just maybe 10 years ago that you read that book. Because I'm thinking sophomore in high school. I'm, th- you know, I'm going way back. Like, what, like, really, you know, it's like Judy Bloom book or something like that. <laughs> hey, know? Judy Bloom is like Judy world changing for she, a lot of kids. She changed my life. I'll just say that. <laughs> Have you seen the documentary? No. Oh, she, she's a riot. Really? She, there's a diet documentary about her. And she's like very much speaking out about banning books. Because yes. a lot of her books were banned. banned. And so, which is why I um, wanted to read them. Of course, because if you tell a kid, 
I do that. I do this to my kids on purpose. You shouldn't read this. <laughs> I set down this book. I think this is too scary for you. So don't. <laughs> like they, I promise they will read that book. Pick it up and love uh, it. Ask my kids. I've done that so Reverse many times. psychology is still working this in the McGinnis household. I just don't think you're ready for this yet. Oh, let me just leave it right here. All of a sudden, it's in their bedroom. I it's love hilarious. it. Anyway. What about you? What what book book what book changed your life? The first book I can remember owning that changed my life was um, A Wrinkle in Time. Oh, I love that book. Mm. Oh, I love that book. Uh, my my mom gave it to me uh, one Christmas. I think it was '76, and she like signed the inside to oh. Anne. You know, whatever. Still have it. Love that book. Uh, met. Madeline Lingle when I was in college. Did you really? And had her sign the book. She came and spoke. That's um, so cool. That was transformative, and I still read that book. And it's the first book that kind of got me down the rabbit hole of science fiction that's not really science fiction, you know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, science fiction can be sort of overwhelming and a little bit off kilter for me because I'm not a sci-fi person. So that, of co- that book, of course, then led me, thanks to my brother Ken, who's eight years my senior, that led me into Ray Bradbury. Oh. And my life has never been the same. Fantastic. Mm. I've met Ray Fahrenheit Bradbury twice. Fahrenheit 451. Fahrenheit 451. My brother had an entire anthology or whatever it was that he was required to read for um, high school. I snuck the book and he he did not know. And I think they had to pay a fee because he <laughs> didn't like return it. And no one could figure out what the book was. And I had the book. So that was... Ray Bradbury absolutely rocked my world, continues to uh, just, uh, he's such a great voice of that sort of science fiction, but it's just, oh, I don't know how to say that, but you know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean, and it's, I don't know how to describe it either. It's but not I know straight exactly. sci-fi, but right. it's absolutely sci-fi. You don't have all the world building, you kind of get right into the meat of it. It's very it's still personality sci-fi. driven. Yes. And it, maybe that's what maybe sci-fi doesn't have as much as what he did with the with the characters and that sort of thing. So yeah, that's that was that was those were my life-changing moments, of course. And then of course To Kill a Mockingbird, which you cannot scratch. It's I thought a, Weathering Heights was gonna be what you talked about. I've never even read Weathering Heights. I thought you talked to me about Weathering Heights. No, never oh. got through it. Tried. I thought what couldn't did you write? Very dark book. Very dark, couldn't do it. Gothic. Uh, is gothic yeah oh it's all it's big time goth what did you think what did you I think no there was something that you talked to me about and i thought it was weathering heights Absolutely what did you not. what did you write your did you have a, a senior paper or something that you had to write helter skelter is that what you're thinking of <laughs> no the charles manson uh, trial <laughs> written by his lawyer you or, wrote about that in your thesis <laughs> I, I write about it at night in my dreams because it stuck with me yeah we like oh, mur- we love murder so <laughs> we okay you guys <laughs> I have some books I can recommend you after we yeah. talk. I actually don't like to read about murder. I do like to okay. watch murder. Even stuff. if it's fictionalized? No, like I a murder mystery? Yeah, I okay. like murder I mysteries. Murder yeah. mystery. Love murder mysteries. Okay, I have some for you. you have I'm not a book? super open. Oh, I have so many books of murder mysteries. That I'm not are super open really? to things. Yeah. Like, I, that's why when you give me a, if you gave me a recommendation, I, this Phoebe book, I'm all about it. I would love to read that. Um, one of the books that I, and I just like to talk a little bit about books that I love. Tell. Okay. <laughs> we it was in the it was just last year I think it was Mr. President How Long Must We Wait? <gasps> oh, oh, you know shit. I picked that for book club, right? I didn't know you picked yeah, it. I, I picked I'm it. telling you, I've read it twice now. It's incredible. It's it makes me cry. And when we went to London, I saw the suffrage place. I took Emily a picture. Pinkhurst. Yes, yeah. I took a picture. I was so excited. <laughs> I'm telling you know my husband and my best and my friend that was on there. I'm like, you guys, this is about the book. And I'm like taking a picture in front of it, and they're like. 
I don't understand what you're talking about. But it's it's a beautiful book written by Tina Cassidy, and it's about um, Alice Paul's yes eight year battle mm-hmm. with Wil- Wilford Woodruff. Yes. Oh. And no. No, yeah. Woodrow, um, Woodrow, Woodrow, I do the same thing. Woodrow, That's the Mormon prophet. Woodrow Wilson. Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> so many W's. <laughs> so many Woods. <laughs> it, it's, it, I was close. I was close. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes. And I just, as a woman, I so appreciated hearing about the struggle. You it's know, about I do, the suffragettes. It's about the suffragettes. And people America? think like, oh, they just said, hey, can we have the vote? And people are oh, like, yeah, here no, you go. You no, knew no, that no, there was a little like, bit of a struggle. You just didn't realize exactly how much and how I just really was not expecting Wilson to be that much of a jackass. <laughs> Getting political. I'm glad you said it. I'm <laughs> just saying. Because I, I was feeling it. I was just literally like, wait, I thought he was the progressive one. He was, Denise. He was. That was the part I was like, he was progressive as long as you weren't a woman. It was just so... Well, progressive applies to the group we allow it to apply to. It doesn't necessarily apply to women. I tell a lot of people, please read it. And it's it's just a... it's not an autobiography because she wrote it about no, her. No, it's, it's actually just history. But it's pretty short and it's really readable. You know, so when you say, I never say to someone, oh, I'm going to recommend you a book about history because yeah, they don't no. want to read it. No. But I try to like get into it other ways. But that book is so readable. It's super interesting. It completely changed what I understood. I agree. About what happened, what didn't happen. Mm. And the personality in it mm. between these individuals who are making these big decisions that affected so many people's lives. Fascinating. And Alice Paul gave her entire life to the, the cause. Yes. Everything about her, she 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 lived it, breathed it. She, she just did it all. And I thank her. <laughs> I want to thank her. Like, I was just like, I can't believe it. So, wait, though, I'm a little confused. There's a statue to Alice Paul in London? No, no. There is a, a plaque on the side of a brownstone or like a building where the suffrage group used to meet. In England? In, in England, yeah. Okay. Is this story, the Mr. President, how long must we wait? Is that, does that take place in America? It does. It, but, be, it begins. Right. Do you want to say, I mean, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. you go ahead. It begins in England. England was a little bit ahead of us mm-hmm. at the time. Mm-hmm. We ended up, anyway. But uh, it begins in England where Alice Paul is going to basically boarding school. Okay. And she's kind of educated by the English suffragettes. Mm-hmm. And she kind of sees what they're doing and how it is that they're, uh, I would, I use the word agitating because I think that's what it is. How they're agitating for change. And then she kind of brings that approach to the United States mm-hmm. and then and then uses those the things that she learned here to, to push for change. Is she an American, Alice Paul? Yes. So she was being educated in the UK boarding school system. Right. Actually, it was college. I don't even think. Oh. I mean, I think it was she's like. Smart. Okay. She's a she's smart. Very bright woman. Very bright woman. People don't know her name. Like, no. I, I go poll people, right? Just go say to your friends, Never do you know who Alice her. Paul is? Nope. They have no idea. And it just blows my mind. I I. I Sometimes I get upset because I, you know, I went to school for a long time. Yeah, you did. I'm like, why do I not know this woman? Why was this not a part oh, of my education? It didn't, yeah, it didn't get taught. And so I have kind of gone back and given myself a women's studies education on Good. my own because I didn't get it in no. college, even though I studied for a long time, lots of different subjects. So. I, yeah, I took some women's studies classes and it, at there the university that I went that I went to, which I love. Don't get me wrong, it was the first semester that they'd had a women's study women's studies teacher and this was 89 
Okay. And this was... That's pretty new. ...groundbreaking. Yeah. She was chaos. <laughs> and, I mean, she eventually, like, lost her job at the university. Oh, and, and rightfully so. There were things that she did. That you're like, you signed a contract that said you wouldn't do that. And now you're just doing it. It's like, you yeah. just don't do that. But, no, Wrong she, university. Wrong university. She's gone on to teach at another university back east where she probably... It, it, it's a much better fit. But, but the women's study program was laughable. And we didn't learn about Alice Paul. <laughs> I, I think we read a book on Amelia Earhart, which, you know, bless her. Yeah. There's other. Too. I love Amelia. Yeah. I mean, like. There's yeah. other people, though, that we could actually be talking about. You right. know, there's other yeah. people that we could actually be. Yeah. So anyway, that's. And it should be in our other classes. So, for Absolutely. instance, my undergraduate degree is in political philosophy. Mm-hmm. I read tons of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. And nobody ever told me what Aristotle thought about women. I had to learn that on my own. And what, it's what did he think it's about? It's horrible. Women? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean no. It, it's basically. I mean, if you if you go from Aristotle to um, Augustine and to the Greeks, I mean, women don't have souls. They're inferior. Sure. Darwin. They're not <laughs> as evolved as men. I mean, you can go through the whole education that you received in politics, in political thought in science and all kinds of places i just didn't know and not that that it doesn't make me not want to read those people like what they contributed is significant and of value but i think it's important to understand it so you know where they're coming from absolutely 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 i love that you love that book this made my day that you like that i love the book i mean i told you about the book i've told everybody about the book i keep telling people about it i want my husband to read the book (laughs) (laughs) you always hear this about people who agitate Well, if they would just ask nicely. <laughs> I'm serious, right? It's true. Like, they're just being too obnoxious about it. They're just being too loud about it. They're just protesting and getting ugly about it. But the truth is that people wear, rarely relinquish power when they're not compelled to. They I think, have to be I think Frederick to. Douglass said something much better about that. But, yeah. but it's, and I think you, you begin to see that when we want social change, there's a reason why we have agitators. They are important. We may not always agree with them, but they are they are forcing a conversation and forcing a change that probably wouldn't happen otherwise. There's a there's a bumper sticker I probably need or to make the t-shirt and I've seen it before that says well-behaved women rarely make history. <gasps> Do you know who wrote that? <laughs> who? An LDS woman. Laurel Urich, who is a prof- Harvard professor is the LDS woman who coined that phrase in her book. And she has spent her lifetime studying the lives of women, like during the early like 1800th century. And, and just like the things that are not missing from history, you know, the yeah. journal records and the things like that. What was it like to be a midwife yes. in, you know, 1772? Right. And what was it like to raise, you know, 14 children on a farm? in you know the the colonies and Mm -hmm, things like that and mm so she's written books about women who have been left out of history and she's the one who coined that phrase i love that phrase i also feel like you you know you're talking about the the suffrage movement and if they just ask nicely if they just say you know if they just xyz fill in the blank i saw not to make a complete departure but the other day i was watching something on tv and marlo thomas came on she's still very much involved with saint jude her dad danny thomas was the sort of the founder of the saint jude movement that is if your kid's sick come here you won't have to pay a dime and everything will be taken care of for you and your family which is now hugely successful and amazing but back in the day marlo thomas was a radical she was an absolute radical feminist sort of a bra burning holding the flag 
but also a beautiful woman. And I think that was easier for the anti-feminists or the people who had never been introduced to the feminist movement, like men. It was easier for them to swallow because you have a beautiful woman who's presenting the case to you. And those poor suffragettes, those ladies. I mean, the outfits they wore alone, you couldn't really... They had a tough time of it. They had a tough time of it. And they were screaming from the rooftops, literally. I watched a biography about those gals not long ago. They were getting tarred and feathered. Their oh, yeah, husbands, yeah, yeah. Their husbands were leaving them. Oh, no. It they, was bad news. They were losing their... Their husbands were losing jobs over yes. it. I mean, they yeah. couldn't be... They weren't employable. They literally thought they... I mean, hysterectomies, they're hysterical. I mean, they were taking lobotomies. They were doing things to women because they were speaking out and wanted a piece of the pie. Yeah. God forbid. <laughs> well, and when people ab- agitate for change like that, people who are against it, they vilify. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right? So they they talk about them like they're unwomanly or yeah. unfeminine right. or lesbian or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like any whatever, derogatory. Just like with Martin Luther King. Like right. people called him a communist. And now people will post his quotes and say that he was loved and he was the most hated man in his time. That's right. So I do think that, you know, we can we can look back on what happened before and have some perspective about it. But then doesn't it make you ask, who am I vilifying right now mm-hmm. who is agitating for needed change? Mm-hmm. That's a question we should all ask. Yeah. I love that question. Okay. Good one. It's a good one. Okay, so I was asking what books you were reading. Yep. Are you reading any books or have any books somewhat like recently recently changed my life or not even recently changed your life but you really love um recently let me pull it up here because i'm going to give credit to the author the latest book that i love that changed my life was called say nothing and it is by uh, patrick keefe k-e-e-f-e have you read this book i haven't read it i have heard of it and i've heard wonderful things about it it's a true story of murder and memory in northern ireland and it is about the IRA, the Protestants, the Catholics, mm. and oh, everyone wow. involved. And it's a, it's based on true fact and things that actually happened. We were in Belfast uh, not long ago, and I've mentioned it several times here on the podcast how much I fell in love with that city and sort of the blue-collarness of that city and the sort of pull yourself up by the bootstraps and solve a problem. It was horrible there for a very long time during the Troubles. Yeah. And this book really goes into it in a very straightforward way. Uh, some of the stuff is upsetting that you're that you're reading but at the same time it's like no you can't look away from history you cannot and all of this stuff happened and it was it was life-changing I actually left the book on a plane was so mad and immediately or I realized it once I got into my uber and I, I called someone at the, of course, they're no help. You know, they're just like, no, it's a, it's book. a book. Book what book? No, it's gone. Um, and I, I, or, I ordered it on Amazon, had it delivered the next day because I was so irate. And I'm, you know, when you get into, you get into the book and I can't not read this book every day, you know? So it was that, that book changed me. That's the beautiful part about reading. When you get into it. Yeah. And you can't put it down and you literally like your life revolves around when can I go and read? I yeah. mean, I'm bringing it with me in my briefcase so that when I'm <laughs> eating my lunch at my desk, I can read that a little bit. Or if I'm sitting at a doctor's office, I can read it. Or before yeah. I make dinner, I can read it. I mean, yeah. it's so much joy it's when you so find joyous. a good book. Yeah, I love it. I I also get what I call book hangovers because I read something that's like that. Mm-hmm. And then it's so hard to move on from it. It is. Because you're almost grieving that the book is over. And you're like, now I have to find another book. 
and I just nothing's gonna stand up to this so nothing can be as good as this book that I didn't want to finish you know and I had to (laughs) so you told us another book that I highly recommend Mm -hmm. boys in the boat oh I adore that book I mean, we have used, utilized it through our family, through our succession plan at work. We have used it for metaphorically with the swing and all of the things that go with that for motivation and everything else. It's such a great book. I highly recommend it. It's a book that all generations can relate to. Everyone. And really love. A woman, a man, a child. It doesn't matter. Read the book. It is such a heartwarming and it feel good, but also really make you think about a different time and place yep. and what people were going through at the time and specifically the lead character in this book which this is a true based on a true story and it talks about these these boys that are in a boat I won't give any more away I mean it's in the title <laughs> boys I'm, in a boat exactly but <laughs> I'm just saying I it's no spoiler alert here for don't, me but don't do it it's just it was a really coming of age story that also gives you hope and makes you feel like if they can do this, I can do this. Like I can do hard things. Sure. Because they did hard things. Yeah. It's inspiring. It really is. And the audio version of that book is oh. read by Edward Herman. And his voice is phenomenal. Oh, it's one of the best audiobooks. Makes all the difference when you have a reader who I can can't bring it do to life. Audiobook. Oh really? Is it hard? It's do- hard for me. I the ADHD yeah. situation, like I'm reading. I'm reading, I'm listening, I'm driving, I'm cooking dinner, I'm listening, I'm not listening. Yeah. I'm like, wait, I got to re, wait. It's very difficult for me. It's it's almost harder for me to listen to a book. Yeah, I get that. Do you do self-help books at all? I do, but I'm kind of picky about them. Okay. Because, I don't know, I want it to really actually help me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you won't know unless you start reading. I mean, don't, but but don't you read them and then it never changes anything. I don't know what I mean. I feel you don't bad about myself. Well, don't feel bad. That's never. Why I don't. Books should never be a, a reason to feel guilty. Did any of your kids get the same love for books that you have? Half and half. Okay. I have four kids. Two of them are like crazy readers like I am. And two of them are not like that. But, you know, the one who didn't love to read growing up, who's now an adult, is now... It's different than the other two where it's like our passion. Yes. But it, she, she's making it a part of her life in a way that's meaningful for her and what she wants to do. And I really admire that. And I don't think everybody has to have the same hobby as me. No. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I think there are people who just thrive off of reading. And that's, that's, that, that, that's what I am. No apologies. But I don't think that's what everybody has to be. But I do think that even if you don't read like that all the time, reading can be a meaningful part of your life even if you don't think of yourself in your head as a reader as a reader my son wasn't didn't love reading and you know you, you have to find those books or you know there's boys always that harder i think boys are hard i think it's a boy thing it wasn't his inability to read it was just like i could be outside playing baseball what are we doing so you have that one great teacher though that is like handing out comic books and just like here read this just well, read anything. Don't you or love this? Or graphic novels. Graphic novels. People are like, why are they, you know, graphic novels aren't books. Yeah, are they are. Are you kidding? They are. Some of the most phenomenal stories I've ever read. Have you ever read Mouse? Um, I have it because have it's it. been banned and I buy banned books. Yeah. <laughs> as soon as I hear that it's they're banned, I the buy them and eventually read them. It's beautiful graphic novel. It, it was banned? Mm-hmm. Yes. It's, it, it's, it's based on true stories of the Holocaust. Mm. But it's told through the eyes of a little critter. And it's amazing. Because maybe that makes amazing. it more accessible a little bit. It's I think so it does. hard, right? Sometimes stories are so good for us yeah. because we can confront something that's just truly awful. Yep. 
in a way where there's a little tiny bit of distance. Right. And then, but then we can actually learn from that, take it in, understand it. Right. I think you're right. That's what he's trying to do with that book. And that's what graphic novels a lot of times do. They give you that separation that you need in order to take in the information because the information is so horrible that you don't want to know. Yeah. But you have to. And yeah. so you get something so engaging as a graphic novel. I think it's wonderful. So my son was not a huge reader. And then he discovered Stephen King. Oh, does he <laughs> love Stephen King? <laughs> and so I, so whatever he reads, I try and read. Yes. And even now as an adult, he'll, not everything, but he'll say, oh, I, uh, you may notice on the Amazon account, I purchased, you know, whatever. I'm like, oh, okay, sounds great. <laughs> so then I'll get it. And, and I never realized Stephen King talk about accessibility the writing is simple and straightforward yes. but the storytelling is nuts amazing it's so amazing so now I've discovered Stephen King and it's the simplicity of the storytelling is really amazing that's hard to do it's not easy there's a reason he's so popular Absolutely. I adore him by the way do you? Like personally he has a memoir called on writing uh-huh which even if you don't ever want to be a writer you should read it it's just it tells about his life and he's just he's funny mm-hmm. and he knows how to tell a story knows how to tell a story and get your attention and some of his books I can't read because they're they're too gory for me yeah. but there's that some that are beautiful do you know that um stand by me is based on one of his short stories really called the body mm-hmm and Shawshank Redemption is based on, these movies are based on another short story of his. I didn't know that. So he has a series of short stories called Different Seasons. Maybe this is a Christmas present for there your you son. Go. I like it. Um, Don't listen, and Cameron. those little um, stories are phenomenal. And they've led to some of the best movies that we have. Wow. So. Yeah, Stand By know. Me, shot in Redding, California. What's up? Yeah, My really? hometown. Is that I, your hometown? I'm from Redding. I did not know that. Yes. kind of fun. If you're a mom... And you have kids that don't like to read. I mean, my son, Mitchell, would always say, I'm just not a reader. Or yeah. he, he'd be yeah. like, he'd be like, why don't you play with so-and-so? And he's like, he's a reader, mom. Oh. Like, that was like his thing. Like, he, oh. he's a reader. Like, it was a negative, right? Like, he just didn't, didn't matter. It did, And I read to my kids when they were little. Yep. So I don't know what happened. But what would be the suggestion for you as a mom who loves reading, who also has had kids that are passionate, but not so passionate? How would you approach moms who are struggling with kids reading because junior high boys I think are probably the hardest group (laughs) to tap into yeah yeah I think I tried a number of things some of them worked some of them didn't (laughs) and I don't think there's any way to compel somebody to love to read so I just try to find other ways around you know I think I described earlier like I I would deliberately leave books around the house (laughs) that had certain covers or that were you know, had certain subjects that were certain, you know, interesting. Or I would make comments about a book that I know little ears were like perked up like, what? What is that? And so I try things like that. I think having lots of books around, I think uh, read to your kids. I'm sure people have heard this, but as early as you can, far before you think they actually understand. Poor Preston. I had him in law school. I literally used to read him as an infant, my like water law book, my like constitutional law book. It was just my voice. It was just the cadence of language, right? Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what I was reading to him. And he was like in my lap and whatever. We were having fun. And so I just, I promote that uh, as early as possible. And then I promote like reading to them as late as they will let you. Like my Mm -hmm. kids literally have to say, I'm not reading with you anymore. (laughs) Because, because there's a... Even when they can read on their own, it's an experience to read with them and then to have conversations or listen. Also, 
I, on family trips, I find audiobooks that I think everybody's going to like. One of the ones we loved so much, which I think both of you would love, it's called Shoe Dog. It's Phil Knight, Knight I, the owner I read of it. Nike. Have you read it? It was okay. part of the book club a couple years Did, ago. Okay, so yes. it's, it's that's really phenomenal. Good. Everybody in the family loves it. So I'm always yes. digging around for books like that. Yep, it's a good one. And and I also don't try to, to like guilt them into being like me. No. You know, they can have their own interests. They can have their own things. But I try to show how, you know, things that they care about. There's books about that. Yeah. Yeah. And so just like stretch, whatever it is, reach for that, stretch for that. And um, I always give them books for Christmas, whether they like it or not. <laughs> and I work really hard to find ones that I think they're actually going to like. And sometimes they read them and sometimes they don't. Um, but, you know, all those things. Yeah. Those are, that's a great, that's, that's a great advice. Yes, yeah, really good advice. Did you ever read Shakespeare? Yes. Okay. That was, was it an assignment from class or just on your own? So most Mostly I read it as an assignment in class, but in the last 10 years, I have tried to read one Shakespeare play a year. Really? Yes. Okay. And it's not easy. It's not. It's really not easy. But so much of what he wrote, kind of like when we talked about the Bible being literature, it underpins so much of good literature that I kind of want to know. Yeah. So I, I do, I call it push yourself reading. You can do it slowly might take me a month to get through one tiny little play like the tempest was the last one i read and um but it's just like okay well i'm just gonna read this for 10 or 15 minutes today and then move on to the one that i'm really in the mood for whatever and and over time then you read them all you know i mean it builds yeah after, after a while you've gotten through them all it is difficult reading though it's hard it's very hard reading. well it's old english yeah it's just like reading the king james bible uh, version of the Bible. I mean, yeah. that's pretty hard to read too, to it be is. honest. Yeah. It's not written in our language. Right. Yeah. And so we have to work at it a little bit, which is probably good for our brains. It's exactly. probably good. It's probably it's good. good. Well, thank you for coming. We have enjoyed this immensely. I This is a subject I love. I love you. I love your perspective. I love everything about it. What we do with all of our guests is we ask each person that comes on our show to give us a takeaway gift or a tag, something that we can remember you by. Do you have something for us today? I do, but I have kind of two. Oh, good. Good. So if I can sneak that in there. Yeah, um, I can. So the first thing I want to say is if you are telling yourself in your head right now, I am not a reader, or I can't read poetry, or if there's some message like that, I want you to just slap it away. <laughs> because, like, there's not a category. Like, everybody can read. And it's not whether you're a reader or not. It's like, what do you want this to add to your life? Mm. And what... Do you want it? What part do you want it to play in your life? And it can be a very small amount of time. It can be very focused on what you love or what you're interested in, or it can be a lot bigger than that. Totally up to you. But one thing I really recommend, which I think is also good for sleep at night, mm-hmm. um, is to take, like, give yourself a challenge. People will tell me, like, I can't concentrate long enough to read mm-hmm. a book. Okay, fine. Our book, our brains are trainable. And our phones are training our brains for short, shallow bits of information. Mm. We can combat that by reading something with deep concentration for five minutes and then move to 10 minutes and then move to 20. And if you all you ever do is read for like 20 minutes before you go to bed every night, something deep, something beautiful, something that moves you, it will change you. It will completely change you. And who cares whether you're a reader or not if you're reading that 20 minutes a night. So my my takeaway or what I would encourage everybody to do is like read deeply every day 
10 to 20 minutes and see what happens. I love it. Read deeply. Read deeply. That's, that's, that's your takeaway. It's a new one. It's a good one. We're going to get t-shirts made. <laughs> Bumper stickers. Read, deep, yes. read deeply. We're going to have it. We're going to have the... I hope I get one. The yeah. Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, <laughs> well-behaved women seldom make history with... Read deeply. I'll take both. I'll take both of them, please. I'm placing my order right now. Yes, please. Christmas is writing itself already. I know. Thank you so much, Sherry, for coming in. We really appreciate it. And um, thank you for listening. We are glad you're with us still after all this time coming up on three years. Congratulations to you, Denise. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. Well, I'd like to know how many downloads we have. We uh, never look at that. We should probably do that. We're going to get to that at another time. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't matter. We're doing this for the fun of it. So we can we have people it. like Sherry on to Absolutely. influence our our listeners. So we're, we're glad you were able to join us. Uh, in the meantime, go ahead and rate, review, and subscribe. Give us those five stars. Also, be sure and give us a follow there on Instagram. We are Two Average Girls Podcast. And uh, it's, it's a really fun Instagram page. And you can see all of the takeaway gifts from our previous guests as well as some book recommendations from Sherry, from Denise, from myself, and of course Sherry's takeaway gift and her favorite reads. So go ahead and get on Instagram and uh, follow us there. In the meantime, I'm Ann Police. And I'm Denise Cooper. We are Two Average Girls. We'll see you next time. Episodes of Two Average Girls are free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to hit the follow or subscribe button on the Two Average Girls main page so you never have to go searching for new episodes. Our editor is Aiden Bloomstein. Our social media producer is Samantha Stone. And original music for Two Average Girls is by Jason Fries. <laughs>